Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 152 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans, and yeehaw, the season has begun. Indeed, and we are T-minus three days away from the start of Nebraska's football season, so you can stop marking the days off the calendar, Dad. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right. So for today's episode, uh, we are going to dive directly into the Minnesota game for Nebraska football. We'll also talk a bit about uh, Nebraska women's volleyball and the historic match that's coming up this week for that team. And we'll also preview some of the big games for the first official week of uh, college football nationally. So a lot to get to. It's a lot to get to. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Before we dive in, of course, we have to stick with our tradition and open up a cold beverage. Uh, Today, I've got my uh, Japanese Sapporo beer. Ooh. Well, and and I have the traditional, at least while I'm in Michigan, uh, Labatt Blue uh, beer here that is just a wonderful thing for me to look forward to every time I get to spend time up in uh, northern Michigan. (laughs) <laughs> so cheers to you. I, the downside is I already opened mine, so I'm a little guilty of a little uh, pre, uh, you know, pre-gaming? Uh, pre-work here. Pre-gaming, yes. All right. Cheers. Well, cheers, my then. son. All right. Yeah, that's right. Cheers. <laughs> mm. So diving into some quick little pieces of news uh, in terms of Nebraska football, um, we got some good news that uh, Teddy Prochaska and Marcus Washington, uh, both of whom were uh, on injury and haven't been practicing much, um, are back practicing with the team. Um, it's unlikely that they're probably going to play on Thursday, um, but it's good to see them back, and hopefully we will see them in some future games here pretty soon. Yes, exactly. I, I, I think uh, they're both kind of getting healthy uh, a little too late to uh, be factors in this first game that we're going to be previewing, but it's great news that they're back with the team and they're getting some reps and, and uh, probably will only be in a backup emergency only role this week, but then going forward, that's going to be a big plus for the team. Mm-hmm. And we also added on a two walk-on running backs named Kenneth Williams and Maurice Muskua. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, okay. I know the Kenneth Williams guy is uh, primarily a track guy, and he had some good 100-meter dash numbers. Um, so I think that's what the coaches see in him. Well, there's no doubt that uh, um, Coach Rule and his staff are very partial to track athletes with speed. Mm-hmm. That's just something that they – because I think they're very confident in their ability to – train and and develop a, a a football player right so so if you if you've got the the raw essentials of speed we'll find a way very much so and then um one cool thing is because of course we like to emphasize the student athlete side of things here on the podcast because these kids are students and most of them will not go to the NFL after all um and uh based off of the spring gr- grades uh, Nebraska's football team this year averaged a 3.184 GPA, which is the highest in history, apparently. Yeah, well, and, and you know, there's been a trend on this recently where, uh, you know, the GPAs are getting higher, which is great. Uh, but I'll tell you, with all the resources that not just Nebraska, but a lot of the Power 5 schools devote to the student-athlete to make sure that they're you know, doing the things they need to do to stay eligible and to not not just stay eligible, but to get their education. I, I think there's just been a great improvement in that area for, uh, you know, across the board. Yeah. I saw a comment on the Husker Reddit that said that uh, they did have, I forget if it was a coach or an assistant or somebody, but they had people go into classes to check and make sure that, you know, players were actually there and things of that nature. So it sounds like Rule is taking it seriously. Yes, you're right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and one cool thing, um, 11 different Huskers on defense received their black shirts today. 
Um, which is interesting because in certain past uh, history with the team, uh, you didn't get your black shirt until a few games into the season, right? Like you had to earn it on the field sort of thing. Uh, so do well, you... in recent, in recent years, that's true. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you interpret any depth into uh rule making the decision to give him before the season starts? Uh, no, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways, obviously that's been done, but what he just did was in fact, the most consistent with the way that the defensive coordinators, Monty Kiffin, Charlie McBride did in the back in the days, right? In the seventies, eighties and nineties, the black shirts represented the starting unit of Nebraska's defense. And it wasn't something that they got after they performed well enough in the third game or something. They got them before the first game of the year, just like this. So um, this is more traditional, if you will, than what, all the other things that have happened over the last 20 odd years ha- has been, uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then over time, uh, you know, the number of black shirts might, might increase from 11 to 12 to 13 as there's certain key subs that start to get enough playing time that they earn a black shirt sometime later in the season. And maybe like a punter, if you, if we had a really, really good punter, for example, they might, eventually give him a black shirt because of what he's doing for the defense. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I know in the past it's been kind of a, we suck. So, you know, we're not going to give him to you right away sort of thing. Right. But I, I like, I like what Matt has done because I think it's, it's more in keeping and it, it's just, it's not so much you earned it as it is. This is the standard now hold it up. Right. Right. So the, the burden, the burden is on the defensive players now that got those shirts. Right. Yes. The burden of tradition. Um, yes. And I thought this was an interesting anecdote. I saw um, it was confirmed that uh, all three of our coordinators. So the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator are, are all going to be on the field, on the sidelines. No one's up in the booth uh, looking down on the game, which is a bit unusual, I would say, in today's day and age. Right. Right. Uh, well, and I, I'm actually pleased with that. Again, um, I, I know that it's very common, especially for offensive coordinators, to be up in the booth. But I've always been a believer that uh, uh, it's better to have your coordinator be down on the field so that they have a feel for the game. They're able to look their players in the eye. They know if they're looking panicked or like confused or whatever, as opposed to the guys being in the booth. So I'm a big believer in that. And that's about trusting your assistant coaches to be your eyes in the sky. Right. Um, right. because obviously uh, being up, up top gives you a little bit of an advantage, but, um, uh, from a visual standpoint, but I think the communications and stuff is, is, is way better. So I love that concept. Yeah, I like it too. So we'll see how it uh, progresses throughout the season. Um, but hopefully that pays some dividends for us. And then uh, this is some interesting news in uh, the women's college volleyball world, which we talked about a bit on last week's podcast. Um, But uh, Tyler Hildebrand, who is a former John Cook assistant and the current head coach at Long Beach State University, had to play against number one Texas and beat them in four sets in a big upset right in the first week of volleyball. Yeah, well... uh... Uh, it, it's it's big on a couple of fronts. Obviously, it's huge when the the team that's that's preseason number one is knocked off. It's not all that. It's not completely unusual uh, because a lot of times these first couple of weeks of the season uh, in volleyball, you know, you've got teams that are just not quite fully gel, you know, gelled yet, uh, and so the, you can have a few of these upsets. Now, does that mean that Texas is overrated or anything like that? As much as I'd like to say that, because I would love nothing more than for Texas to struggle. Uh, the reality is no, they had, you know, two of their best players were not playing uh, because they were being held out due to injury uh, and just trying to get recovery. So, uh, but it's huge on the other hand for Tyler Hillebrand, who's in his second year as coach. And, and he achieved two things in the, in that match. Uh, number one, obviously it's a huge victory for him, right? I don't care whether they had a couple players missing or not. When you play against a team as loaded as Texas and with all the tradition of Texas and you beat them, 
then you're for real. I mean, that's just, there's no doubt about it, right? You're playing some pretty darn good volleyball. But in addition for Tyler, it's, it's huge because uh, it was a record crowd. It's the largest crowd they've had at their home stadium. And keep in mind that, that this place where he's coaching Long Beach State was a traditional volleyball power. It has actually won national championships in volleyball. Um, so, so, but they had, they haven't been relevant in the, in the, uh, you know, final four-ish type time frame in a long time. So Tyler bringing that back and bringing a crowd back like that is also huge because he, he spoke about that the day he arrived, you know, he wanted that to be like Nebraska. He wanted to be full every, every dang game. And so he's, he's making progress. A great coach. Yep, that's good to hear. And of course, another branch of the John Cook coaching tree that hopefully will grow right. to have uh, some perennial success. Now transitioning more fully into the volleyball discussion, of course, this Wednesday is the big volleyball day, the game between Nebraska and Omaha. It's going to be in Memorial Stadium that's setting out to potentially break a world record for highest attendance at a women's sporting event. Uh, We talked about that quite a bit last week. You and mom and Emma are all going there to see the game. Uh, So hope you have fun there. Um, What are some of the vibes you're getting as you're uh, prepping to head down there? Well, the, 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 the cool thing is, you know, for, for somebody that maybe hasn't heard about how this transpired and stuff, it was, it was the, the genesis of it was that, you know, uh, Nebraska has always been known for a great fan following and, and allegiance to their volleyball program, as well as their football and other sports programs. But in this particular case, Nebraska has been a part of like seven of the 10 largest audiences to ever watch uh, a collegiate volleyball match right? Seven of the 10, but we were no longer the ones who had the highest uh, attendance because that had been beaten out by uh, Wisconsin who played a game in, in the large arena. That's that houses the uh, Milwaukee bucks NBA basketball team in Milwaukee. Uh, they had a game specially there against the university of Florida and they broke the record for the largest regular season attendance at a volleyball game. And so Nebraska wanted to get that back and uh, and the and the it was almost a joke to say we need to do it on the stadium because we don't have a facility in Lincoln or the area around Lincoln that's big enough to break that record, right? Indoor basketball arena, for example. Um, and so they said let's let's look at doing it in the stadium. So they initially did that. Uh, uh, originally, their intentions were to get thirty to forty five thousand people, which would easily break the record and and they would create a horseshoe design on one side of the court uh, of the stadium and put the court you know right there in the middle of uh, but to one one end zone, if you will. Um, right? So you understand the concept, North Stadium uh, yeah. and about half the stadium. Well, that sold out within a few hours. <laughs> uh, and so the next thing you know, they they had a contingency just in case the outlandish happened. So they it took them a little while to formalize it, but then they turned it back on and said, okay, we're going to sell out the whole thing. And they did that. And with like literally within, within uh, another 24 hours, the entire stadium was sold out. Uh, then they said, okay, we're going to put people on the ground, you know, on the stadium uh, floor itself. Uh, to keep filling it up. And so they did that as well. And that's what now has put it to where it's going to be even way bigger than a typical football audience, because you're going to have a bunch of people that are going to be seated or standing room only on the floor of the, of the stadium floor. Right. Now it seems to me like uh, that would be the coolest experience, right? To be there on the field with the court, you know, not too far away from you. It would be interesting, except that, so keep in mind, Alex, a football field has a crown, right? There's a curvature to it, right? right. Uh, from one side to the other. Well, they had to build a platform, elevate it, build a platform so that they could flatten it out because they don't want that volleyball uh, right. court to, to be anything but flat. So they, ha- they, they literally built, built a flat platform for the, for the entire stadium, um, uh, or not stadium, but for the uh, football field so that they could square it all up and make it flat. Um, 
So that there's going to be there's going to be some elevation differences. So some of the people that are on the ground there are going to actually be kind of below the the stadium surface a little bit. Even even the players and the coaches are not going to be, you know, at at the court level. They're going to be below it, <laughs> just a little okay. bit, right? So it's going to be kind of elevated, right? So uh, not that those won't be good seats. You're you're right. If you if you were willing to risk standing for four hours or whatever. Uh, that probably would have been some of the best seats to get the standing room only seats. Right. But uh, we, we didn't, we've got seat seats. Right. <laughs> and I suppose uh, one of the questions is uh, since this is clearly, even if we don't break the world record, which is like I said last week was like 90,000 something, I think um, if we don't break the world record, this is still a hugely successful event for the women's volleyball program. Do you think that they might make it like a, annual thing you know obviously it's a lot of work to set this up in the football stadium and you got to do it when it's an away game right when the football team isn't playing there um but do you think they might do it more often uh, well I, I it wouldn't surprise me if they do it with some regularity i don't know if it's an every year thing but i could i mean they've invested in all the structures to flatten out that field right uh and 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 uh, do all these accommodations. So if this ends up being a success and they don't have to cancel it due to weather or something like that, which is obviously still a possibility, I would say yes. And I don't think it's just going to be Nebraska because I think there's going to be a bunch of schools are going to look at it that even though this is in the middle of the week, so it creates all kinds of logistical nightmares and they've had to rent 50 buses and they've created all these temporary parking uh, locations throughout the city of Lincoln. So people will not drive to the stadium they because there's not enough parking. It's not a weekend, right? There's a bunch of regular work activity going on there. So they want people to park at these remote sites and ride in by bus. So they've done all kinds of logistical stuff. But at the end of the day, you've sold 91,000 tickets uh, uh, at an average, uh, I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 50 bucks probably, right? Times 90,000 people. Uh, plus, you're going to have concessions, you know, for that enormous group. You're going to have, including alcoholic beverages, they've approved for this particular event that they're going to sell beer in the stadium. They don't even do that for the football games. So there's going to be an enormous revenue stream produced by that. Adidas, who is our, our uh, clothing and shoe company representative for the university, you know, we have a, a university contract with Adidas, is hosting this massive uh, pep rally event that's going to start at like noon okay and go all the way to like seven o'clock so it's it's a seven hour festival for them and all kinds of merchandise every player has their own unique individual shirts that are being sold um, for this event so the amount of merchandise that nebraska is going to sell is just going to be astronomical so when when it's all done when all the math is finished right this thing is going to end up being five, six, seven million dollars. I, I have no idea, but I would I would expect it to be at least five, and it might reach seven. Now you have expenses and everything, so let's say they're a million and a half. Well, that means you got four and a half million dollars left, right? I don't know. Uh, even if it's three, that's that's more than most volleyball programs have as a budget for the entire year. <laughs> and we're going to do it in we're going to do it in in one day and. We're, write, we're writing a big check to the other three schools who are also all Nebraska schools, very successful at their own divisions and their own conferences. Even this, the team that we're playing, University of Nebraska Omaha, has been a, a fairly regular uh, uh, NCAA tournament team because they've won their league a number of times. Uh, University of Nebraska Kearney and Wayne State University have both also had enormous success at their uh, lower NCAA Division II, Division III type levels and and are very prominent programs. So it's just a celebration of how much the entire state of Nebraska, not just University of Nebraska-Lincoln, has embraced the sport. Not to mention, uh, pretty sure that the uh, university is off that day, so all the students are going to be going or participating in one way or another, right? Because they don't have classes. Yeah, yeah. We have a, yeah, we have a new chancellor who was just hired this past summer, our previous chancellor retired. And so the new chancellor enamored himself, I'm certain, quite nicely with the students by canceling in in, in uh, class 
sessions for uh, Wednesday so that uh, everybody could go. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. And and there's a bunch of uh, VIP type people attending, right, from the NCAA, from right. uh, the Olympic team, apparently, you know, other right. volleyball programs and stuff like that. Well, and 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 uh, Coach John Cook has spoken about the fact that you know, with uh, with our current arena always sold out, they weren't able to accommodate inviting multiple uh, alumni groups, alumni seasons back at the same time like if they were going to invite a, a a particular year's team back they needed to invite that team and that team only because they don't have enough seats and accommodations for multiple teams well because of this event they were able to basically open the the floodgates and say hey all past alumni you guys want to come let us know organize it and we'll 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 get you in kind of thing right so um um they did that. So there's going to be more Nebraska alumni at this one volleyball match than ever before. Uh, and, and, and a lot of our professional alumni, you know, have ended up with a lot of their uh, playing mates, right? Their, their uh, teammates from their various international teams who have said, Hey, we want to be a part of this. So they're coming along with, of course, Jordan Larson, the gov, uh, who's uh, going to be coming back to see it as well. So, so lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah, very cool. So very exciting event, obviously. I'll try to uh, watch it on Wednesday night um, so I can check it out. We'll see if I see you guys somewhere in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we're not even close to the, the stadium. We'll be watching it mostly on the large screen, t- uh, you know, uh, uh, TVs. But but the whole point is to be in that stadium. And, and when we're doing the, Husker power chant, right? Uh, or the go big red chant with 90,000 people chanting in unison, uh, that those, the, the players are just going to be overwhelmed by that, you know, that ambiance, right? That's going to be something else. They're doing a pregame on big 10 network too. They're treating this like a bowl game. Like there's going to be a, like a half an hour pregame show just for this event before it even starts. So they're taking it very seriously. Yeah. Pulling out all the stops. So hopefully, like you yeah. say, I would just got to pray to mother nature, hope the weather cooperates. Yep. So far the forecast continues to look pretty good, but you never know in Nebraska. You never know. All right. So now we're going to dive into today's main topic, which is of course the Nebraska football team and our game against Minnesota, which is the following day. It's a Thursday. So an early uh, game this week. Uh, and it's away game, so it's home for Minnesota. I looked it up. Uh, according to the uh, Vegas odds makers, um, Minnesota is uh, minus seven or minus seven point five as of today, uh, Monday the twenty eighth. Um, they beat us by seven last year in Lincoln. It was a twenty to thirteen game, so it's not too surprising. And I will admit, I'm not uh, familiar with. Minnesota's roster this year in terms of, you know, how many seniors did they lose um, from last year's team and stuff like that. But I am concerned about this game. Uh, It's a tough one to have as your first game because every team has some first game jitters, right? Everything's not necessarily going to be executing smoothly. Um, And Minnesota is a team that loves that, right? They, they're all about playing simple, straightforward football, but not making mistakes and capitalizing on yours. And so if we don't come in there, you know, and execute our game plan and avoid major turnovers and stuff like that, I think they're going to uh, beat us plain and simple. Right. I mean, well, you, you, you locked onto it. I would simply add one thing, you know, this is a Minnesota program that is quite well established. Their culture is well established. They have an identity. They know what they do well. And so even though there, there absolutely was some turnover, they lost some really key players. They lost a, a longtime quarterback uh, who had been their, you know, key signal caller for like three years, maybe more. They lost an NFL ca- caliber running back who had been great for them. Um, but they have some outstanding receivers, really outstanding receivers that have returned. Uh, they also lost a number of people on their offensive line. They had had a group of offensive linemen that had been together, it seems like, for four years, right? 
and they lost like three of them or four of them maybe. So they only have one or two starters back on the offensive line. But because their program is quite well established, it's not like they hadn't built depth. They have some mature guys that have been in the program that know what the expectation and the standard is. And so even though they're not the same guys as last year, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be some dramatic drop-off on their offensive line production, right? So we can't expect or uh, uh, you know anticipate that as a Nebraska fan. What we're going to have to do is, is to play a, a, a style of defense that's different enough than what they're used to that we confuse them a little bit and cause them some problems on defense. And maybe they make a mistake or two with their new quarterback and that sort of thing. And uh, and if we could get that to happen, then we might be able to kind of hang around. And then we need maybe some of our skill talent to you know rise up and and make a play at the end of the game that helps us win the football game. Right now, uh, I was just trying to remember back to last year. You know, the 2022 season's kind of fuzzy to me because um, I don't remember if it was against Northwestern or against Minnesota both of whom are known right as that type of team that uh, capitalizes on your mistakes and doesn't make too many of their own. Uh, but in one of those games, I remember the game did not play out that way. The other team did make plenty of mistakes and did have some crucial turnovers. And yet we st- still weren't able to win. Do you remember if that was the <laughs> Minnesota game last year? Um, it might, it might have been, I, well, I actually think that was more than one game. It was not the Northwestern game. We, flat out self-destructed in the Northwestern game. Um, okay. uh, and we kicked an onside kick to start the third quarter, <laughs> which, uh, yes. which will never, never be lived down. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. That's my recollection of Minnesota. Don't quote me on that. Um, but right. you know, of course this is the first game of the year for them too. And it's an early game right on a Thursday and all that stuff. So everything I just said does apply to Minnesota too. It's just like you said, they are in a system that has been well-established. Their coach has been there for quite a number of years. You know, they've got stability, whereas we're still building something brand new. And like you say, maybe we're able to surprise them with our, uh, Three three five defense, you know, and I hope to see them being aggressive, like we've heard about them being in practice and uh, giving us some opportunities. Maybe even a pick six, that'd be great. But it is a it is a tough game to have for game number one for sure, and a away game at that. Right, exactly. And the fact that it's a conference game, and again, you know, Nebraska finds themselves being, you know, playing a conference opponent first game of the year for the fourth year in a row. No other Big Ten team has done that. <laughs> now I will, will concede that last year we did that. Uh, we did that on purpose uh, because we chose to do the Ireland game. We didn't have to do that, and and the date of that game got rearranged to accommodate the Ireland schedule, right? And in fact, the year before that, the Illinois game also was originally intended to be in Ireland, right? And then it got postponed because of COVID, and it didn't happen. So, um, so, you know, this is not the big Ten's fault or anything. It's just how it's played out. And now here we find ourselves, you know, it's just tough to start very first week with a conference game. Cause if you don't win it, you're already down a game against everybody else in your division. Um, before you ever even sneeze really in the, in the season. So it's tough to start out right out of the gates with a, conference opponent. Yep. Well, and so I, I know we've talked a bit about our 2023 schedule in the past, and now we're here at the season start. So our first four games are against uh, away at Minnesota, away at Colorado, then home with Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech. So, and I think I remember saying that if we went three and one in that stretch going into the Michigan game, um, then that would be acceptable to me. You know, I, I could live with that. So my thinking right now is that we may lose this Minnesota game, which would be disappointing for sure. But then we take our extra little bit of time, right? Since we're playing a game on a Thursday, we have a little bit of extra time to plan for the next Saturday's game. And then we're able to go down to Colorado and beat them and then beat the two kind of lesser opponents we have, Northern Illinois and LA Tech, before we play Michigan. So that's my overall thinking right now. What about you? Okay, so 
my my feeling is uh, I I would tend to agree with you that that's maybe the the uh, the scenario you'd like to espouse or to 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 hope for um, is to go three and one, but um, I, my fear is that if we lose this first game, that the hangover of that loss combined with the fact that we're going into a hornet's nest in Boulder. It doesn't matter that I think we're a better team than Colorado. The 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 hatred by Colorado of about Nebraska is as deep as the hatred about Nebraska for Colorado. So, um uh and I have a feeling that Colorado even if they lose to TCU as long as they don't get blown out they're going to view that game as a success because the the, the current national um, uh, pers- perspective or perception of TCU is that they're one of the premier programs in the country because they played for the national championship last year. Well, I would argue that they didn't belong in the national championship game last year and that if you look at their overall season, they could have easily lost four games during the season. There were like there were four games that they had to come from behind in the fourth quarter that they struggled against, uh, you know, Big Ten opponents, right? Or, I mean, Big 12 opponents. And so I think people are overestimating what TCU is as a program and their ability to to duplicate what they had last year, especially since they lost their quarterback. So TCU is way overranked. And so I just have a feeling that Colorado is going to end up coming back home for their home opener against Nebraska in week two and feel really good about themselves, even if they lost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I really think that if, if we lose to Minnesota, we're losing to Colorado. I, I hate to say it, but that's kind of the perception of how I see this playing out psychologically with all the teams and everything involved. And there's not enough of a disparity in our talent versus uh, Colorado's talent to say, oh, no, we're going to overcome that. Uh, now, alternatively, and this is where we get back to Minnesota, I think it's super critical that we play well at Minnesota. And if we do, then we can carry that momentum, especially with the extra time because we play on a Thursday night to build on that confidence to prepare for that Colorado team and then maybe go out there and and overcome this lion's den that's going to be waiting for us and, and win anyway. And then we end up 4-0 after four games. All right. So... And so I am all in on my commitment that Matt Rule is going to surprise some people. We're going to find a way to ugly win against Minnesota because Matt, unlike some of our previous coaches, Matt, Mike Riley or Scott Frost, we under, I think Matt understands the high school football mentality that is uh, Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that at the end of the day, and especially in the fourth quarter, plays basic fundamental football and wins by just beating you up physically and by over-executing you or out-executing you with the simple basic plays, right? Uh, I think we now have a coach that views his team that way. And if we can hang around like we have historically done against Minnesota, instead of collapsing in that fourth quarter, we're going to be a fundamental team too in that fourth quarter. And we have, I will still argue even right now, we have more athletes and more difference maker athletes at the skill positions than they do. We have, we have better running backs collectively than they do. I think our quarterback is every bit as good, if not a better uh, overall athlete and football player than theirs, even though theirs is very highly regarded. Right. Um, I think we have some individual receivers even maybe not as good as their top guy but but other than that in terms of depth of receiving talent we're better uh or at least equal to them tight ends definitely better so you look at all those skill positions on offense i think we have what it takes it comes down to our offensive lines play and then our defensive lines play because i think again our 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 all of our linebackers and and DBs, I think we have a good group. It's all about whether or not our defensive line can handle their offensive line, which has been a historic strength of theirs and probably will be again this year. Mm-hmm. So 
like most football games, it's going to come down to the offense and defensive line as to who wins the game. And I just have this sneaky suspicion that our defense is going to play well in this game and that if we can start to have some success running the football, then we'll never really have to get crazy with our passing game. And we were, we will, we will stay simple. We will stay simple and we will grind it out and get a victory. It won't be blowout. It, it will be a hard fought, you know, close victory. Yeah. Well, and you just touched on something that I think I'm definitely gonna be watching this whole season is that, uh, for lack of a better term, the fourth quarter curse, right? Under Scott Frost, so many times we were either ahead in the fourth quarter and then somehow lost it or, you know, behind by one score and chasing the win and failing to succeed. Right. So I will be very curious to see how the team mentality and Matt rules coaching and everything holds up during the fourth quarter of this game. Cause I think that'll be critical. Um, Cause even if they win, even if I'm going to predict that they win, but I don't think it's going to be big. I think it'll be seven points or less, you know, uh, they, typically we have been close with them, but they just managed to, you know, outbeat us in one critical moment. You make, have us make one critical mistake, right? That costs us the game. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give my score prediction here and I'm going to stick to what I said, even though it's against my heart, but I'm going to stick with my head here and say that we lose to Minnesota. Um, let's say that we lose um, 17 to uh, 21. Wow. Okay. All right. So you think it's going to be a uh, first game full of mistakes that basically lead to offensive ineffectiveness with a fairly low scoring game. Yes. Uh, I get, I get why you would do that. I I think there's going to be some mistakes but I think the mistakes are, are, are going to also include some mistakes on defense, defensive coverage, that sort of thing, uh, that are going to lead to some points being scored. So I think the winner of the game is going to be in the 30s. So I'm going to say it's going to be uh, 34 for Nebraska and 20, no, 31. I was going to say 28, but I'm going to go 31 for uh minnesota i'm gonna i'm gonna be optimistic and say that uh that you know at halftime it's it's like you say it's it's 10 to 3 10 to 7 something like that fairly low scoring but then in the third and fourth quarter some mistakes happen defensively or we're able to take advantage of some things or they're able to take advantage of some things from us and all of a sudden neither team can stop the other and it ends up being a score fest in that third and fourth quarter. And, uh, and we come out on top because we make one more play than they do. All right. Well, either way, we're predicting there'll be a close game. So hopefully it'll be a fun watch on Thursday. I'll definitely be tuning in. In terms of uh, week zero of college football, you know, last weekend's games, there really were only two of any significance. Uh, Notre Dame Navy, you know, the classic, uh, where Notre Dame uh, crushed Navy uh, 42 to three. That was their game in Ireland. Um, so right. they came out looking very good there. And then yep, uh, they did. USC played against San Jose State and won 56 to 28. Uh, but interestingly, at halftime, it was they were only winning 21 14. So they pulled away in the second half, um, but probably not as clean as they were hoping for. Right. But again, it's, it's the first game of the year. And so, you know, that's actually those two scores are indicative of what you tend to get. Uh, early season games, right? Either a blowout where one team comes in, which is just clearly superior to the other, and and there's just not a whole lot that the that the inferior team can do to slow it down. And uh, it would have been great to be a Notre Dame fan in Ireland this past week, having been over there last year when Nebraska went. Uh, it was so much fun before the game. Now after the game, when we lost, not so much, but. <laughs> Up until that game, it was awesome. <laughs> and so to have had a blowout victory with all kinds of optimism and things to talk about, it would have been so fun to be hanging out at the bars after that game with the celebration attitude and still, instead of uh, drinking, uh, you know, to drown your sorrows. Uh, so. Yes. 
Well, and we know, of course, you know, uh, we had a lot of fun over there being from Nebraska. They're Notre Dame, the fighting Irish, right? So you, <laughs> exactly. you got to assume the Ireland people are uh, extra excited to have them there. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, so now looking at week one, um, there are a few games of interest uh, to kick off the football season. Um, and we mentioned one, which was TCU, Colorado. Uh, in the preseason poll, TCU was ranked 17th, apparently, um, because, yeah, they did lose Max Duggan, right? They're really good quarterback that helped them out to get to the national championship last year. Um, but it is a home game for them against Colorado. Um, and so, yes, I definitely expect TCU to to beat them. Um, Colorado, like us, I think, Colorado's a very interesting team to watch this year because they've also got a new coach, of course, in Deion Sanders. And he really cleared house in terms of getting rid of, of a lot of the older players and bringing in his new folks because they were like 1-11, I think, last year. So they were truly awful. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, are they still carrying some of the jitters from, you know, that kind of failing mentality from last year, or has he got them going in a completely different direction? Uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you're asking me to make a, an assessment and, 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 and my head tells me, yes, I, I, you know, he's no idiot. Um, and, and he has definitely upgraded talent. Right. Um, so, and he put, and he surrounded himself with some talented coaches. Mm-hmm. So all for all of those reasons, I think he's going to achieve. However, there's some things that are going to work against him. One is he has had quite a number of medical issues, right? Even as recently as this summer, uh, that were pretty threatening. And so I, I question how many hours of, you know, dedicated effort he's been able to put into preparations as the head coach. And you think about all the things and all the things that Matt rule has been doing, all the places he's been, all the, all the buttons he's been pushing to make sure everything is moving in the direction that he wants it to. And then you compare that and contrast that to Deion Sanders and what he's been having to deal with just to be medically able to walk. And, uh, so I just, I just think maybe he's not quite been able to get to where he wants to be. And so his, program and it isn't quite as far along as he'd like it to be. Um, so I think he's going to struggle this year. I really do. And, um, but, but I also know that I don't think TCU is as good as everyone else thinks. So I think there's there's going to be quite a drop off in TCU's performance. And so I have a feeling that just the momentum and the energy, uh, combined with the individual talent that some of the the skilled people at Colorado are going to have is going to make that an interesting game. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and predict that TC wins 42 to 28. I think it'll be a pretty high scoring game, you know, some ugliness on both sides, but at the end of the day, TCU's um, offensive prowess will pull through and win them the game. That's a, that's a great score. And and I think a good, good projection. Um, I would have been close to that, so I'll try to. Be, I don't think they're going to get to forty-eight. I, I think I think it's going to be more like around thirty-five for TCU, and uh, but I do agree that that Colorado is going to have some success. I really want Colorado to just be inept and throw some interceptions and just get their butt kicked. That's what I want. So the score I want is like fifty-six to 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 ten. Okay. <laughs> yes. The score that I think is going to happen is going to be that that. 35 to um, 27. Okay. Very cool. We'll see how that one plays out. Um, And they're playing on a, like we've mentioned, they're playing on a Saturday. Um, So traditional time for them. So have a little less time to prepare for us. Another interesting game in week one is uh, Utah versus Florida with Utah being the home team. Um, They're ranked 14th in the preseason poll. So even a little bit higher than TCU. Um, so if, I think they're definitely expected to win, but you know, Florida always has talent, right? It's just a matter of can, are they going to have the coaches to use that talent effectively? Right. So Utah, you said against Florida. Yeah. And that's this weekend. Mm-hmm. I thought that was later in the year. Holy cow. Okay. 
Um, and Utah is still part of the Pac-12 right now. I mean, they're the defending Pac-12 champions. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, where is that game being held? Utah. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to predict Utah is going to win that football game. I suspect a lot of pundits will be saying Florida, but I just, I really like Utah's coach. They're consistently a good football team. And uh, now Florida is going to have better athletes, but I think Utah is the better team. So I'm going to say 28 Utah and uh, 21 um, Florida. Okay. I wasn't actually. Planned to do a score prediction for that one, but we're doing it now. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Sorry. Um, I, I didn't know. I was just Googling that game to make sure I was correct, which I am. It also mentions that uh, there's Tropical Storm Idalia is, uh, I think, currently heading right towards Florida. So it said that was, in fact, affecting their travel plans. Um, oh, So that okay. might be another knock against Florida as they've got other things on their mind. Um. So, yes, I'm going to agree that uh, Utah wins, um, and I'll go a little higher scoring, I think. I'm going to say Utah wins 38-20. to Wow. Okay. Uh, another interesting game, uh, Washington, another good school from the Pac-12, is playing against Boise State. It's at home for Washington. They're ranked number 10th, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I expect that to be a Washington victory, but Boise State – you know, can always throw a wrench into things. We know that from history. That's true. Yep. And then uh, we've got some interesting Virginia matchups. Uh, Penn State is at home against West Virginia, and Tennessee is at home against Virginia. So, uh, once again, both Tennessee and Penn State, I think, we should should win and are expected to win, um, but not not freebies by any means. Right, right. Interesting. Well, I, uh, you know, I... I don't know what the West Virginia situation is, so I would totally agree with you on that. But I, I feel like Tennessee versus Virginia, I think Tennessee should wallop them. Mm-hmm. I remember you were very impressed with uh, Tennessee from some of the games of them you watched last year. I'm not sure if they I still was. have that quarterback there or if he left. Um, no, I, I think they still do. I think he's got another year. I think okay. he's still there, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, they'll be an interesting team to watch this year. Um, yes. And then the big game for this weekend, which is actually being played on a Sunday, is Florida State versus LSU, and it's at home for Florida State. That's uh, number five LSU versus number eight FSU, so we've got a, a top ten matchup here in week one. Um, and it, I think having the game be at Florida um, for FSU is interesting, and actually I haven't looked it up, but I wonder if that – tropical storm might affect that game if it's heading that region or not. So we'll have to see on that. Um, but I think I would still give the edge to LSU there. Yeah. If they play that game, I agree. They may not be able to do that, or they're certainly going to have to have some major contingencies. I'm going to say LSU is going to win that game too. I think probably the, you know, the storm is going to be on the minds of a lot of those FSU players, you know, their homes, their parents, whatever. Right. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of distraction for the Florida state team, given the weather uh, distraction and, uh, and LSU is very talented team to begin with. So even though Florida state is expected to do very well this year, I think LSU takes the victory. Yeah. It looks like it's expect the storm is expected to hit on Wednesday, just from a quick Google. So it's not going to be on the game day. It seems like, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm going to predict that LSU wins as well. Um, but I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a good game. Um, so I'll say that LSU wins, uh, 35 to 28. Okay. And I'm going to say that, um, it might be a little higher scoring in this case because it's LSU. Uh, so let's go 42 to 35. Okay, both of us saying it'll be by a seven-point seven point yep. game. Yep. Okay. Yep, so th- th- those are the big games for week one. So we're getting back into the groove here. We'll see how our uh, predictions fare this year. 
And uh, obviously, we're excited to dive back into the world of Nebraska football. We're obviously crossing our fingers, hoping that Matt Rule has got this turned around. You know, there's lots of good signs coming out of uh, his mentality, you know, what he's been saying to the media, all that sort of stuff. But my mind does go back to that spring game, right, which was uh, had some bright spots on the defense, but in terms of offense was very ugly, very turnover prone. And until I see proof on the field that those kinks have been worked out, uh, that's going to be occupying my mind, I think. Well, and you're a realist. I like that about you. Uh, (laughs) I, 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 I want so desperately for us to be good that I tend to ignore the reality. Uh, and I am, uh, drinking the, the roulade as they say. Uh, but, um, I I just have a, I'm hopeful that our new coordinator, our new offensive coordinator is smart enough to play to our strengths and keep it simple. I really, really want him to do that. Even if we don't have immediate success, that the the concept that you can be patient and grind away a little bit, especially with our big running back. I mean, if <clears throat> if Irvin, <clears throat> you know, Gabe Irvin, that guy's a stud, right? He's a physical, punishing dude. Let's use him. Let's use him and see if we can then maybe splash a little. Uh, what is his name? Ramirez. Ramir, that's it, Ramir, uh, in there in the fourth quarter and have his explosive speed, you know, take it to the house because we've been pounding away for the first three quarters. That's a, uh, that would be a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. I also like how you mentioned, oh, I, I love that you're a realist because I can definitely remember in some past podcasts you being like, oh, I love your optimism. You know, when I would say <laughs> that we were going to win, even though yes. it looked like we were going to lose. <laughs> lose, right. Well, because you, yeah, you you are often uh, optimistic, but uh, I I like the fact that you have taken an approach of no, got got to show me, you've got the show me attitude, and you're probably being wise. So yes, yep. I mean, at the end of the day, we still have a lot of the same players from last year, right? The team that uh, you know only got to four wins, and admittedly, right we saw the talent on the field, right. In a lot of situations and it right. was, you know, inopportune turnovers or strange coaching decisions at crucial moments or whatever, you know, that made us lose a lot of games by less than seven points, you know? So all these teams under Scott Frost and even under Mike Riley before him, right. Lost games narrowly were close to turning it around, but just never could. So is Matt right, rule the right. secret sauce that finally lets us do that? Let's hope so. Exactly. Well, and, and, and it's really not just him, but his, his coordinators as well. What kind of choices are they going to make? And uh, we'll see. It's exciting that it's finally here. We don't have to wait much longer. That's right. So if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can listen to the podcast there. I'll leave us a rating or review. We always love hearing from the fans. You can leave us a comment and we'll read it out on the air. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me. I wish you a safe drive down to Lincoln, Nebraska. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.